What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. So, turn up your Walkman, loosen that scrunchie, and get ready to talk 80s with your host, Lindsay Parker. Hey, I'm Lindsay Parker from Sirius XM Volume and Yahoo Entertainment, and this is Totally 80s. Before we start, just a reminder to follow us at Totally 80s on Facebook and Instagram, and make sure you bookmark wearetotally80s.com for tons of news and content about our favorite decade. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please be sure to give us a rating and review. We'll love you for it. Be kind and rewind. Okay, I'm here with John Hughes. Not that John Hughes. <laughs> But yes. the other very important John Hughes, someone you knows a lot about the 80s, just yeah. like the other John Hughes. Exactly. I'll, I'll, I wear the name with pride. I, I mean, you couldn't have a better name. I know. It kind of worked out. Unless you were named Simon LeBon. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good. Consider that. Okay. I'll, I'll look into changing it. Bond, so, Simon LeBon. When we think about the 80s, John Hughes, yes. the other John Hughes, we talk, we often think about, you know, the colorful side, the pretty and pink side, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, we have girls just want to have fun. The future's so bright, I got to wear shades. And Holiday by Madonna. Mm-hmm. But there was a dark side to the 80s. I don't understand in retrospect why there were so more, many uh, Cold War anxiety songs. It's a genre unto itself. I think it was the imminent threat of nuclear annihilation. Well, let's uh, talk about the yes. political or cultural <laughs> climate then. Yeah. In, but, you know, it's like we look back on the 80s and they seem like a simpler time. When right. we look at the time that we're kind of in right now, which is, you know, other types of annihilation seem like they're about to happen. But, you know, this was definitely a prevalent theme in pop culture. There was the War Games movie. Mm -hmm. There was, oh God, the Day After movie. The Day After, which we had to watch at school. Oh my God, that must have scarred you for life. It did. I mean, I don't even know. Okay, so this was, I don't think TV movies really Mm -hmm. now are like such a, what, a, appointment television thing it was a communal event because there were three channels and everybody watched and it it was basically a depiction of what might happen if there was a nuclear war and us and how it would affect the community of a a small town and Mm -hmm. it was very graphic i'm actually surprised that so many i'm very surprised at your school uh did anyone bring a note that said like uh my child is accused from watching this psyche scarring don't remember but you know this is also the same small town where our church showed us a film about what hell is like complete with maggots coming out of people's eyes which was worse that or the day after (laughs) they're both very vivid (laughs) memories for me and they explain a lot about me so so the backdrop to what we're going to talk about with the genre that i've called cold war anxiety songs is despite the fact that there were many things about the 80s that were lighthearted and uh you know colorful and fun there was this side so i don't know what was going on if it was just the there were a lot of anxious songs in general like the only i've talked about this before get nervous by mm-hmm. pat benatar somebody's watching me by rockwell mm-hmm. pretty much anything oingo boingo did a lot of men at work songs who can it be now overkill but people being very wound up and very pressure by billy joel very tense and i don't know if it was the coke hangover from the 70s the new coke yeah new i don't coke. know what was going on 
the yeah. caffeine from the new Coke, but people were like freaking out. So like there was all this besides there was internalized angst, but then there were a lot of songs that were very, I mean, some of them maybe haven't aged that well because they were very specific to what was going on politically. A lot of like Reagan references, a lot yeah. of references to the Cold War, to Russians. But I want to talk about some of the good ones, because even though these songs might have been inspired by a lot of dark things going on and and, uh, you know, maybe don't seem like they would have been jams. World Destruction by Time Jones was a jam. We were dancing to the apocalypse. <laughs> there, you Party know, at Ground Zero, there, like Fishbone exactly. said. Exactly. There were so many great dance songs based around this theme. And, and World Destruction by Africa, well, Time Zone. Time Zone. So featuring. Let's, well, let's say who Time Zone yes, was. Africa Bombada and John Ro- Lydon slash Rodden. Yes. And, uh, you know, and Bill Laswell and Bill Laswell, of course. Yeah. And, it, uh, you know, not uh, a hit hit in the traditional sense. If you grew up in L.A., which I did. Yeah. This was on K-Rock like every five minutes. See, that's interesting because it was a huge hit where mid- I'm from. Midwest Cleveland here. Uh, the only time I ever got exposed to it was on night flight. Night flight was, oh my God, we could do a whole podcast. Night flight, and they would do a takeoff to world destruction. And wow. Yeah. And this was one they would always play. Did they play the video? Because John Lydon told me in an interview that they the blood from the video was ketchup packets from McDonald's. Yeah, they definitely played the video. The video, you know, and of course, night flight, it's past midnight, Friday night. It's dark outside. You're the only one at home watching it. That video freaked me the F out. What freaked you out more? The day after? The maggot video in your church or this? <laughs> I think it's a three-way tie. All right. No, uh, World Destruction freaked me out because, it, again, it was it was like, it's coming. Get ready for the bombs. It was pretty much saying that straight up in the lyrics. There, yeah. was, no, there was no subtlety here, as no. there's very rarely any subtlety to anything John Lydon does. But there is humor. Mm-hmm. There's one part of the song that makes me laugh out loud every time I hear it. And that's when Africa Mabata says... Who wants to be a president or a king? And you hear Johnny go, me. (laughs) I miss that. (laughs) That's pretty rad. I'd vote for him. (laughs) Too bad he's not a naturalized citizen. Uh, Uh, But yeah, he's a song for me growing up with K-Rock, which if you live in L.A., K-Rock might not seem that hip now, but mm -hmm. really was back then. We played this. I have a vivid memory of like summer break and being at the beach playing this song. Yeah. I'm in a time. It was. And also, I do want to point out that I don't know if this was the first, if it could qualify as the first rap rock like mashup or hybrid like this, but it definitely Definitely. predates Walk This Way by Aerosmith and Run DMC by a lot. And you've got like three, two or three years. You've got two artists who are basically talk singing Mm -hmm. and it's melodic. It's, you know, if you think about it, there's actually a melody to what they're what they're doing. And it's kind of interesting in that way. And it's also a a great story. uh, Well, I don't know. Great is overselling it. A story uh, is I saw this video and I was on a hunt for this record. It's hard to find it, but it was mythical. Um, And I tried to special order it from Camelot Music and they couldn't get it for some reason. And I ended up going all the way into Cleveland, which was like a big adventure back then, you know, 30 miles from my uh, hometown. And I found it at this record store in Coventry, Ohio, and I still have it. That's worth money. Yeah, I love it. When I interviewed John Lydon and I wanted to talk quite a bit at length about this song, he actually seemed kind of surprised. Like, really? More like it's just not something he gets asked about that much. To me, it's a big part of his mythology is post-Sex Pistols mythology for I, sure. I, I knew this before I knew about the Sex Pistols. 
Wow. Yeah. I had no frame of reference for the Sex Pistols. I and I, what's funny is it's almost like you know I was in Robert Plant solo before I was in a Zeppelin. Is that so, true? Yeah, very true. Wow. I'm, I'm a strange kid, and <laughs> uh, and and I was into this. And PIL before I ever went back to the Sex Pistols. I was about to ask if you knew PIL yeah. first, which I can I can understand that. PIL, this is not a love song, mm-hmm. was you know in light rotation, and I was like, this is the most obnoxious thing I've ever heard. I have to go buy it. That was the thing is like yeah. it was the the um, I'm talking about like anxiety. That's the word I yeah. keep using. The anxiety was very palpable in this song when mm-hmm. when uh, John Lydon is screaming. I'm in a time zone. Mm-hmm. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of danger. Right. Like you actually are like, oh, the bomb is about to drop. Yeah. This isn't. He's not playing. Yeah. On the other side, though, a song that was. I mean, that was my jam. That's why I wanted to lead. Speak about destruction. I had to. <laughs> if we're gonna speak about destruction, we had to start with that song. <laughs> but. It's funny because the first huge song that ever came out by Prince was 1999. And everyone yep. uses that term. I use it like, oh, we're partying like it's 1999. Ha yeah. ha. No, this is a doomsday song. Mm-hmm. This is a judgment day. It's actually literally says judgment day in the song. Everybody's bought, got a bomb. We could all die any day. So it's the lyrics. Why was it that in the 80s? What's your theory, John? So we <laughs> have we have a theory about why this was on people's minds. Right. This was politically in the culture because, you know, the there was a threat of this mm-hmm. um, and the whole Cold War thing was happening and it was kind of juxtaposed. This is the thing that was juxtaposed with happy songs. Like people danced to World Destruction. People danced yeah. to 1999. People weren't crying to these songs. People weren't cowering in fear. People were in, like, these were songs that were people were danced to at bar mitzvahs. Gallows humor isn't the right term, but it's almost like you can't do anything about it. You can't change it. So why not either poke it a little bit, uh, deflate it by making it seem less scary by having a dance beat to it. And you know what? We're all going to die. So why aren't people doing songs about this now? We're in an era where we're worried about climate change. We're worried about things going on in Korea. Why aren't there people doing where's the world destruction 2019? That's a good question. I wonder if it's happening and we're just not being exposed to it because, you know, it's all so fragmented. Party like it's 2019. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So another song, um, a lot of people think of Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Relax, of course. That mm-hmm. was a jam. And, you know, they advised you not to relax when you were like, you know, right. doing the deed. Right. When, don't relax when you do certain. Don't relax. Don't want to do that. Yeah. But it seems like they never by, relaxed. By the way, that song, according to Holly Johnson, was about motivation. Sure it was. <laughs> sure it was. That's why I got banned. <laughs> exactly. I and, love that. Yes, excuse. <laughs> but apparently they didn't relax at all because they were worried about the Cold War and the threat of nuclear war right. as well. The Two Tribes song, which, you know, I would say I would actually classify Frankie Goes Hollywood as a three hit wonder, a two and a half hit wonder. There was Relax, there was Two Tribes and there was um, Welcome to the Terror Dome. Welcome that to the hit? Pleasure Dome. Pleasure Dome. Whatever. Number 48. Terror Dome is... Is Tina Turner reference, uh, Mad Max, yes. right? All right. Uh, um, Got my ages references mixed up. Yeah. Um, but Two Tribes had the video, the Godly and Cream directed video amazing. that ba- was a, basically a wrestling match between Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the Russian leader then? I'm it, bad with my history it unless it's it 80s w- pop history. It was not. Konstantin uh, Chernenko. Chernenko. It was Chernenko. It, yeah, it was pre-Gorbachev, that's for sure. So they had, I guess it was kind of like a sumo wrestling match. Yes. And it was supposed to show... This is how juvenile the the pissy match between these leaders were. So it was like, you know, they were a very political band. And I found out a fun fact that the 12 inch A and B sides featured voice parts by British actor Chris Berry. 
imitating Ronald Reagan. He is the guy that voiced the Reagan puppet on Spitting Image. Yep. And we got to talk about Land of Confusion by Genesis, that, one of the best videos of the sure. 80s. For sure. It's uh, all about the video with that song. Yeah. Uh, two Tribes. Yeah. Interesting. Um, relax. People forget. Relax was released here. Flopped. Did it. Got to the mid-70s. Dropped. It was done. It was over. And then Two Tribes came out. And Two Tribes actually, thanks to MTV, playing it on a loop, got to number 43. Almost hit the top 40. Got that close. And then they were like, okay, well, let's re-release Relax now that we've got some momentum from behind this band that's huge in the UK. Oh, wow. And they did the new video for Relax where it's the live performance. And I'm doing air quotes if you can't <laughs> see me on the podcast. So you know that the video, the original Caligula water sports filled <laughs> den of iniquity. Lions and tigers and eating bears. Eating grapes. S&M video for Relax was directed by Bernard Rose, who also directed Small Town Boy by Bronski Beat, which is a really important video. And that's just an aside I want to make that he, in terms of LGBTQ awareness, LGBTQ friendly, basically gay music videos, the mm-hmm. 80s, he operated both ends of the spectrum. Yeah. One's fan, a total fantasy party vibe. The other one, very grim and very dark yeah. and very realistic. And, and both too much for U.S. audiences. Absolutely. At the time, too much. But it's interesting that um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, who had a song and a video for Relax that was kind of very um, about, well, it was about sex, mm-hmm. and it was very um, euphoric mm-hmm. and escapist, right. that they had their first hit in the U.S. with um, a political song, right. a political video. And it wasn't even subtle. It was like very direct what this song and video were it about. Was, I mean, uh, you, it, the first rule about Global Fight Club is you do not talk about Global Fight Club. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you've got this video that is just on a loop. And the best was when they would play the 12-inch version of the video with the scratching, the video scratching, and, and uh, Nixon going... Henry Cabot Lodge and I keep the peace. No, Mr. Crucia. No, no, Mr. Crucia. No, Mr. Crucia. Lodge and I, no, firm diplomacy. No, Mr. Crucia. No, Mr. Crucia. No, 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 no peace for America and the world. Is that the one that had Chris Berry, the Reagan puppeteer? Yeah, I think... Okay. I, yeah, but... One thing that used to really frustrate me is the video version of the song has this great bridge in the middle, like uh, love and life, love and life. And it's not on the album version. Is it not? No. And it used to, and it's not on the single version either. And I'm like, why can't I get the version with the bridge? And, you know, many years later, I You really, did you go back to Camelot and try to find out? Which is harder to find, the world destruction or, or that version of Frankie stuff was actually they there were a lot of imports and I was a big Frankie Goes to Hollywood fan. I mean yeah. I had the shirts uh and I had I had the picture discs. I bought every Frankie import. I don't know how many versions of two tribes I had. I lost count. But you know, outside of here, that song spent nine weeks at number one in the UK. Nine 
two tribes we, did? Two tribes spent nine weeks at number one. Because Relax was already a really, like, one of the biggest hits of the 80s in the UK. At one point, Two Tribes was number one. Relax was number two on the chart. You know, there. it's so interesting to go off on a little side just about Frankie Goes to Hollywood mm-hmm. is, although they had some immense success at the time, I think people put them kind of in a category with, like, A Flock of Seagulls or Dex's Minute Runners, bands that were great, but people sort of look at it as almost novelty acts now, yeah. or, like, definitely don't hold in, like... Or other time, for sure. I don't know if it was the t-shirts. Yeah. I don't know if it was a gay backlash thing. I don't know if it was the fact that once they had their peak, they really were just gone and we never heard from them again. Yeah. Like, But people don't hold Frankie Goes to Hollywood in very high esteem. They look at them as sort of being like, you know, the, that band that did Whirly Girl or something. They, they get... Un- OXO. Yeah, OXO. I love me some OXO. <laughs> they, get un- they get unfairly maligned as being uh, Trevor Horn puppets. And, yeah. and it's not true because if you listen to it, there's a Peel session. They did a John Peel session where they play Two Tribes. They play Relax. They play another song that I'm blanking on right now. Listen to the versions on the Peel session before they're signed, before they even met Trevor Horn. And you're like, oh, they actually did play and they actually wrote the song. That bass line for Two Tribes that sounds like a synthesizer, it's not. That's Mark O'Toole playing the bass with a pick like a madman. Wow. There's that thundering quality, the two tribes yeah. that did sort of sound like the the, the hooves end, the of, end of the, the world, the four horsemen <laughs> yeah. coming to you. There was definitely a, sen- a claustrophobic sense of doom to this. Mm-hmm. Again, very different some from the message of relax that people were like it was a poppers party song, and right. here's this song that's basically like the party's over. Right. Um, but since you mentioned the word puppets, yes, and I already alluded yes. to this. Land of Confusion by Genesis. Mm-hmm. Now, Genesis are one of those bands that, despite the fact of not at all looking like members of Spano Ballet or Duran Duran, made a very good transition to the MTV era. Mm-hmm. Phil Collins, despite looking like, you know, anyone's dad, right. was one of the biggest 80s stars of MTV. S- smartly got himself aligned with good directors. Good directors, good videos. I'd put him in the category of like the guys from ZZ Top mm-hmm. or whatever. Like they made the good transition in the video world. And this video I like because as I was saying, we we all were like suffering from this crippling anxiety that mm-hmm. a nuclear bomb would hit any moment and we needed the comic relief <laughs> in order to, you know, if we were going to address this sometimes, you know, having just like a really like serious, grim, you know, we need something to offset a, a palate cleanser after the day after yep. and war games yep. and your maggot church video. <laughs> You know, we need some levity. So puppets, puppets to the rescue. Puppets make everything better. Of course. And that Ronald Reagan spitting image puppet was cute. It was the best scene in that video is when he's in laying in bed in his pajamas with Nancy and the bed is soaked with water. He's like thrashing back and forth. And Nancy takes this little handkerchief and kind of pats his forehead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's a scene at the end, the big apocalyptic dune day scene, because we all lived in fear. The, the, the fear very specifically was that someone who at the time was seen as basically being a puppet or basically being right. not maybe the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, Ronald Reagan, 
was in charge of the red button. Yeah. The mythical red button that apparently was right next to his water glass in his like invalid elderly oh man bed. And the puppet accidentally hits it when they're tr- when he's trying to like grab a glass of water or something and everything mm-hmm. explodes. But it was still a very enjoyable video. The puppets and spitting image were so cool. There was an American version of it called DC Follies. Sid and Marty Croft. Oh my God. Was mm-hmm. that Sid and Marty Croft? It was a Sid and Marty Croft production. I didn't realize their career extended beyond 1979. They, they did not let go. Well, you know what? <laughs> When we do our totally 70s podcast, oh my God. we are going to go deep diving into Sid and Marty Croft because I'm like, you know, actually, I have one theory about Lidsville. I thought Lidsville was very um, actually kind of Russian and communist in vibe that like it was sort of or like kind of like a... Uh, I'm trying to think, caste system. Oh, yeah. In that how you are born looking is what your career is going to be. What if you're born looking like a cowboy hat? Oh, wow. But you want to be a farm a nurse. <laughs> what if you're born with a, looking like a nurse hat with legs, but you want to be a policewoman? Uh, it's all in the you're, name, Lidsville. <laughs> Lidsville was good. But anyway, that was its own kind of like scary apocalyptic thing where like uh, Jack Wilde falls down the top hat. Yeah. Oh, my God. But the, hitting the button by accident is a theme in quite a few music videos. What other ones? Uh, it's a Mistake by Ben at Work. It's a mistake. It's a mistake. Let's talk about it's a mistake. You've got, by the way, okay, let's talk about the song. First of all, it's a mistake. Again, I, I, using air quotes, kind of a forgotten hit of theirs. Well, in general, the same stuff I was just saying about Frankie Goes to Hollywood yeah. kind of applies to Men at Work, which is bizarre to right. me. They had so many good songs. They won the Best New Artist right. of the Year. We are the men <laughs> and we will see you again. And <laughs> then we that. didn't. And then I was like, Then we didn't. Bye. I mean, Overkill's my favorite song by them, but this album, Cargo, or was it Cargo? Cargo. Cargo. What if I told also you? Also, I did some mistake on it. It's a mistake. Got to number six. Did it? It got to number six in the U.S. It was on MTV a lot. I don't, I'm not hugely surprised by that. I'm more surprised about the fact that people now look at them as a novelty act, yeah. which I think is because of the Down Under song and video. Right. But they have, and this actual video was actually pretty damn corny as well, but right. it was the 80s, so I cut them some slack. Yeah. You know, and their their mistake, if there was one, was getting <laughs> serious with the third album. What you know? was what album was that? Uh, Two Hearts. And what it, was it on was, that? It was just Maria was a single, and uh, Everything I Need, which is a great song, but it's not a Men at Work song. No it's one can Colin see Hay that I have song. a look of complete yeah. dumbfoundedness on my you face. Again. The fact that you, yeah. they had a third album? They had a third album. And again, uh, if you've heard past episodes of this podcast, you know, I got it from the cutout bin. You I can... love me some cutout bin. Colin Hay was one of the greatest singers of the 80s. But um, as I was mentioning in general, in the 80s, and I've mentioned this on other podcasts too, there were a lot of anxiety songs that mm-hmm. were just generalized anxiety songs like Pressure by Billy Joel. People just being like wound up and overstimulated by the mm-hmm. news or by what's going on. Did They had no idea what was going to happen to them. And like when the internet started, if they were like freaked out by like yeah. a cover of Time magazine. Felony, the fanatic. 
felt that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or but men at work re, along with Oingo yeah. Boingo, they really specialize in this. Who can yeah. it be now was about right. being shut in in your apartment and not wanting anyone to come to your right. door. Overkill was mm-hmm. about be, this sort of feeling like of wanting to escape being overstimulated. It's a mistake though was their political statement. It had yeah. the corny video with, as you mentioned, the red button that everyone was afraid Ronald Reagan was going to hit. It had the generals. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there were definitely, there were some times where they oversimplified the whole Russian thing. We do have to talk about Sting's song, Russian, Russian. Yeah. I, You know what? As much as Russians could be vilified in the media and pop culture in the 80s, I don't ever think I doubted that the Russians loved their yeah, children. Yeah, that was my problem with that song, was that it's line. Like, that's it's pretty like, simplified yeah, take Sting, on things. I think you're being reductive there. He meant well. Did he? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know Sting. I think it was. I'm a, assuming a tantric fever dream when this came to him. <sighs> we could do a whole podcast on what happened to Sting after the police, because you know it's like there's a whole Onion article about it. Actually, oh, it's dear. supposed to be penned from his point of view about how his what happened to me. Oh, nice. But uh, the whole there was this side that I think again people meaning well mm-hmm. with pop culture in the 80s where they were like let's show that Russians aren't so bad let's yeah. have a Russian exchange student on head of the class sitcom right right let's have Moscow on the Hudson with yeah. Robin Williams mm-hmm. where it's like oh he's lovable Russians aren't so bad who was right. that Yakov Smirnov Yakov that was his whole shtick what that country yeah good impression yeah. but uh, yeah so there was that side and I think like a video like it's a mistake or the um the puppets video by Genesis for Land of Confusion sort yeah. of was like oh let's show that Russians are actually like kind of cuddly. What about Autograph, the Russian heavy metal band that was part of... uh, That wasn't uh, Gorky Park? Was it Gorky Park? No, Autograph was Turn Up the Radio. What am I thinking of? Gorky Park. Yeah, Gorky Park. I remember this because... They played Live Aid, right? I don't know if they probably did. Uh, They might have been... Very early in the broad. Well, yeah, there was a, I believe there might have been a Russian satellite performance from Live Aid. But there was a, a, we're actually in the 30th anniversary of it this year. It was 1989. They sent a whole bunch of like, it was called like the Moscow Peace something concert. And it was Hmm. all these metal people like Ozzy Osbourne and Skid Row and Cinderella and Bon Jovi. And I do remember the advertisement on MTV because Gorky Park were there. And they were like the metal band of Russia. So yeah, the Russians love their metal too. Yeah. See, See Sting? Russian kids love their metal too. <laughs> I do remember talking to Tom Kiefer about that uh, from Cinderella because he went over there and he mm-hmm. said that they had been give, sold this bill of goods that like Russia was very bleak and everybody yeah. was like, oh, we love America because like we want your Levi's jeans and your new Coke. And then he went over there and everyone was like, you know, wearing designer clothes right. and seemed, had nice sneakers on and everyone seemed fine. Nutty. But uh, Men at Work are a band that I think really, uh, even maybe more so than Frankie Goes to Hollywood, gets short shrift historically. People think of them as this like these like, wacky Australians mm-hmm. who made wacky videos because they did have a sense of humor even when they were tackling political stuff. Like it's a mistake. It was done in a kind of like quirky way. But yeah. that's, that's just how Australians are. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's a testament that a song like Overkill can be the lead single from an album. Yeah. You know, and make the top 10 because it's 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 not a, you know, if I get a little muzo here, muzo here. <laughs> it's not a traditional structure for a song. It's actually really kind of minor key and cool and, you know, again, it has a good keychain in it. You right. don't don't key change. I mean, don't attempt to uh, sing Overkill and karaoke unless you're me. ready. 
I killed it more than you once. can do the key change. I can do the key I can't change. Get this oh, that and, cannot do it. Keep in mind though, this is also while I'm giving them their props for a mature, great song like <laughs> Overkill. This is also the band that brought us the uh, Doctor Heckle and Mister Jive. Okay. And Johnny be good. Johnny <laughs> be, good be, be good Johnny, rather. That was a good song. But yes. now maybe I'm understanding why people didn't take you him know, seriously. All right. Is this okay? All right. We're down to the fifth or fourth but single. I here. think it would be a mistake Ooh, to dismiss well, I love their it. body of work, at I least agree. the first two albums. Yes. But speaking on the subject, John, of problematic third albums, mm-hmm. and also on the subject of meaning well, mm-hmm. we need to talk about. The well-meaning, rather insipid culture club song, The War Song. War, war is stupid. And (sighs) people people are stupid. People are stupid. I cannot argue with either point. It's not like Boy George was wrong, (laughs) but not the most eloquent um, anti-war lyrics I've ever heard. It ain't, you know, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. (laughs) The best. (laughs) It ain't Neil Young. The thing about that song is the video. Again, where I, they're I, marching with like the Day of the Dead, like bef- Halloween superstore skeletons. You, before you even get to that, with, okay. with the the fashion show with the weapons, basically on the catwalk, uh, you have your insipid title and your insipid chorus. But we have kids from all around the world say it in their native language at the beginning of the video. It's very Benetton ad. <laughs> yes. Here it is in French. War is stupid. Here it is in Spanish. Well, you know, around the 80s there was, and this could be a whole other podcast. You know how, do you know like how I'm always suggesting another podcast uh, in I the love middle ideas. of a podcast? Yes. It's like this Russian nesting doll that never <laughs> ends. Um, but the whole, there was this altruism that again was well-meaning, but sometimes oversimplified. Like, mm-hmm. War it, is stupid. It started with Band-Aid <laughs> yeah. and there was Live Aid, but there was, you know, Hearing Aid and there was like mm-hmm. Hands Across America and there was I Ain't Gonna Play Sun City. Everyone wanted to get in on like the world together we're you know peace and love it was very it's a small world Mm -hmm. and it was well-meaning but sometimes over simplified and came across as a bit pandering perhaps the culture club moment you're talking about falls into that category yeah uh, i think so and i also think i don't think it was a misstep uh but you had things that were much better songs on that record that could have been a first single. Well, also Culture Club, while maybe this wasn't the best political statement, they were in their own way political just by the virtue of the fact that they were multiracial. They had an, um, a singer who, while maybe didn't really ever come out at the time and say, I'm gay, it was pretty right. obvious. Pretty much he was a cross-dresser. He called himself right. a drag queen when they right. won their Best New Artist speech and everyone freaked out. Right. You know, a good dra- you got style, you got taste, <laughs> you and you know, know a good drag queen when you see one. Why hasn't Boy George been on RuPaul's Drag Race yet? I'd rather have a cup of tea than sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, Probably sure, wasn't George. true. Ask John Moss. Yeah, and I was going to say, you also had, whether he wants to admit it or not, a bisexual in the band, mm-hmm. uh, b- b- beating the skin, so to speak. But they, uh, sorry. They had, yeah, they had a Jewish guy, they had a black yeah. guy, they had an Irish gay guy who right. dressed uh, androgynously and mm-hmm. wore Hebrew letters on show. I mean, it was all very right. multicultural and it, there were elements of black soul music, reggae right. and the music. So they were doing some stuff in their own way that was political. But when they tried to get overt with it, with this war song. Yeah, it was better. War, when, <laughs> yeah, it was better when he was writing kind of like stream of consciousness things that could be 
applied to a real world situation mm-hmm. like miss me blind what does that even mean but it's a love song about someone that you miss well uh, you know it's a miracle was originally supposed to be called it's america there you go it's america right right it's and about they, making it yeah yeah so. but then you know uh, it's not an anxiety song but i gotta give a shout out to mistake number three which should have been the first single from that record let's try to commission a mashup it's a mistake number three <laughs> men at work culture club mashup there you go Could perfect work. I think it's time for us to take a little break from all this doom and gloom, but we will be back in a second with more paranoia songs from the 80s on Totally 80s. Prince's iconic album, 1999, is now available in Super Deluxe, CD, vinyl, digital download, and streaming editions. The Super Deluxe is the deepest dive to date into Prince's vault, and it features 35 previously unreleased tracks, including 24 studio recordings, a complete concert from the 1999 tour recorded at the Masonic Hall in Detroit, and the CD and vinyl sets also feature a previously unreleased DVD concert performance recorded live at the Summit in Houston. The full-color booklet features rare photos and new liner notes written by Guns N' Roses' Duff McKagan, Rolling Stone critic David Frick, Minneapolis writer and broadcaster Andrea Swenson, and Prince scholar Dwayne Tudal. The newly remastered Super Deluxe edition of Prince's 1999 is available now wherever you get music. Right, and we're back and we're talking more paranoia, nuclear war, cold war, anxiety songs of the 80s. Um, so we've talked about some songs that were definitely more overt, mm-hmm. uh, particularly like Two Tribe, where there was no world destruction. There's no question about what they were talking about. But there's a couple songs, even in like what seemed like innocent love songs, songs that people still mm-hmm. dance to at prom or right. dedicate to their loved one on the radio. Now there was that subtext. And there's two that I did not realize at the time were about that. Or the couple lines that were referencing that I missed. When mm-hmm. was I Melt With You by Modern English? Yep. Robbie Gray, the lead singer, has said that I saw the world crashing all around your mm-hmm. face. Actually, is supposed to be, it's the song is supposed to be about two people that are making love for mm-hmm. the last time before the Holocaust happens, the uh, nuclear Holocaust. A concept which got ripped off a few years later by Ultravox dancing with tears in my eyes. Interesting. I, I did not realize that one either. Mm-hmm. And then on a similar note, for some reason, I never noticed in Forever Young, a song that people still sing at proms. Yep. Are you going to drop the bomb um, or not? Yeah, it's right That's there. That's not a happy line. It's, you know, and again, uh, not only, not just three years later, you have Morrissey and Every Day is Like Sunday saying, come, come, nuclear bomb. That's right. Yeah. If it's not love, then it's the bomb. Oh, yeah, there the you've bomb, got, yeah bomb. you've got that as well. Yeah, so it's interesting how while there were some songs that were very mm-hmm. overt about mm-hmm. Russia or about nuclear war or the threat of it or about the end of the world and Armageddon, even in a happy song like 1999, right. there are other songs where it was just like one or two lines, but it's like, wow, people really had this on the brain yeah, back then. Yeah, and there's also there's a little bit of, I think, revisionist history because of the video. You've got Killing Joke 80s, which everybody thinks is about, you know, uh, how bad the world is and he doesn't really even say anything about Russia or nuclear bombs. He just or, keeps talking about I've got to struggle. Yeah, right, right. So it's like, wait, how come this song is an apocalyptic song? I, it sounds, it sounds like, apocalyptic. It sounds apocalyptic, well, I guess. Let's go back to a couple. I do want to actually say there were like a lot of songs that were kind of about espionage too, which is yeah. sort of a, a Russian thing that was like uh, Golden Earrings, uh, Twilight Zone, yeah. which a video, the video was about that. There mm-hmm. was... um. 
Dekamizar, both versions of it. Oh, yeah. Now, we can't mm-hmm. be friends if you choose the wrong version of Dekamizar. Which is your favorite? <sighs> I, well, I want to be your friend, but I like After the Fire. What? Uh, we can still be friends. I lied. <laughs> okay. But you're wrong. You're not Falco? With the, that wonderful green screen uh, video uh, where he's oh, just jogging if we're, if we're talking the video, Falco, <laughs> hands down. After the Fire, who had a very yeah. espionage-themed yeah. budget. They def- uh, uh, yeah. Sorry. After the Fire, who had a very espionage-themed video, definitely right. got a bit better video budget. But no, yeah. Falco's the originator. I know. It sounds know. more menacing. Uh, this sounds weird to say. Yeah. But him singing it in German. I know right. he's Austrian, but I, it was German. Uh, it just sounds more um, espionage For sure. And since we're talking about German apocalypse songs. That's my segue. You fell right into come it. Come on, Nana. Nana. So, okay, going back to songs that were very overt. Mm-hmm. 99 Luft Ballons, or for you ugly Americans, 99 Red Balloons. <laughs> this is an interesting thing because she sang in German, and this is a rare occasion I do believe the After the Fire version of De Kamizar was more successful than the, which was in English, than the version Falco did in By German. Far. But this was a rare occasion with Nana where the German version of the song was the preferred version on radio. It was. On MTV. Um, Nana, when she performs, she never does the English language version right. of the song. And that's rare because, you know, when you think about today, even bands that like, you know, their Latin music artists will mm-hmm. do an English version for radio here. Daft Punk, all their songs, they're from France. Mm-hmm. Same with Phoenix. They do English songs, English language songs, because that's what's going to get on the radio yeah. here. She had a song in German and everyone was for it. And yeah. people seem to sort of know what the message was still. Right. Despite that, which is, man, maybe this thing that Culture Club was talking about, about everyone singing in the same mm-hmm. different languages and getting together and linking hands like a Benetton <laughs> ad. Maybe it was true. I think Sorry, boy George, for doubting you. I think everybody liked the fact that they could pretend to sing along just by random phonetics. But then we, everyone would yell together, Captain Kirk, <laughs> at that right moment. So and deep. they felt like they knew what they were talking about. But David Hasselhoff wasn't the first person to heal the rift in Germany. Yes, it was Nana. It was Nana. So do you know what the, the story of this song is? Uh, I believe it was something to do with uh, a balloon going over the Berlin Wall, right? So the story is that, um, yeah, a bunch of balloons are set mm-hmm. free, red balloons, of mm-hmm. course, and they're mistaken for some kind of either UFOs or right. some kind of like nuclear missiles. Mm-hmm. And it gets people on either side of the Berlin Wall, which at that time was still up, right. uh, up in arms, literally up in mm-hmm. arms. That's not a pun. And uh, this misunderstanding results in Armageddon at the end of the day when a uh, uh, at the end of all this chaos and destruction, when Nana says, I, I let one red balloon, I see a red mm-hmm. balloon let go. It's like the one thing that survived in the rubble is the one balloon that fell to the ground in during all this nuclear fallout. So it's not a happy song. Right. Maybe the fact that it was in German mm-hmm. made it more palpable to a pop audience because they didn't see how graphic it was. But yeah. I got the message. I watched the video. Of course. Oh, the video. Now, this just is an example of just what people focus on. Uh, I remember the controversy, again, air quotes, you can't see them, about the video is that she raises her arms at one point and she had hairy armpits. Man, move over, Halsey. I Nana know. Did it first. And it was like, <gasps> were they like those filthy German women? I know. What's going on? People. I don't mean that as a slag towards Germans. I'm just like, was that what people were thinking? Like, oh, she's an exotic European. She's European. The so French and very... the Germans don't shave. So exotic. 
I actually remember that now. For some reason, it didn't bother yeah. me. Oh, it, it was a big thing in the Midwest. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe in LA, I was... Maybe in Elyria, Ohio, this was the controversy. Uh, I know you had on your list a song you want to talk about was uh, Dominion, Mother Russia by Sisters of Mercy. Yeah. Speaking of the dark side of the 80s, uh, Black Planet is another 80s anxiety song that's probably one of my favorite songs of all time, and yeah. that's by Sisters of Mercy. And that's kind of, it's about acid rain. It's right. a climate change song. Very fitting for now. But what is it about this song as a Cold War song that makes the list for you? The, because it was it was a club hit here. It was definitely I was going. I was eighteen at the time and drinking age. It used to be eighteen kids. Let me take it way back. Oh, the eighties. Yes, a simpler time. We could have a PBR and go driving, um, <laughs> and no one blinked. And they would play all ten minutes of you know Dominion, Mother Russia, in the club, and it would be a packed floor. And while it was an underground gothy thing here, it was a, a big old shiny top 40 hit in the UK. And they're on top of the pops doing songs and lip syncing. Sisters of Mercy were on top of the hysterical. pops. Go on YouTube. I cannot imagine Andrew Eldridge signing up to lip sync. They are up there lip syncing. Uh, they're doing their thing. The kids are dancing and going, woo! just like Top of the Pops and you're like what weird universe have I fallen into it's the best I'm totally going to go down a YouTube <laughs> rabbit hole after that but they um, I don't think it was maybe off brand for them to do a song like that because no. you know like I said they did you know this corrosion Black Planet which right. I just mentioned but they're to go back to the subject of um, happier songs mm-hmm. That had this subtext, or sometimes in some cases it was not subtext. I'm from LA, so I got to talk about Fishbone. Yeah. Party at Ground Zero. This mm-hmm. is maybe the happiest Armageddon song, even happier than 1999. Yeah. It takes a while to rev up. It, it's, well, got, it's got about a minute and a half before it gets going. Da, 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 da. <laughs> but it's interesting because I never noticed that the, um, the chorus, it says, Party at Ground Zero, a B-movie starring you and the world were turned to flowing pink vapor stew. Mm-hmm. So it's basically saying the world's going to get up in flames, up in smoke. And I was just dancing along. I really never noticed it before. Have you seen the video? So long ago. Okay. The video is about a party. Okay. And there's lots of people wearing masks, like a masquerade ball kind of thing. And they're all dancing and having a great time and fish bones playing and everything goes. And then the bomb drops. Really? And everyone it's is- that, It's that it's like that full literal. On. Oh, wow. And everyone is turned into a, a, a smoke shadow. Like you see their silhouette where they just got vaporized against the wall. Do and they keep on dancing as like vapor they, ghosts? They come back as vapor ghosts and okay. they start dancing again. You do remember it. No, I just so, feel- yeah. I feel like <laughs> you've, you've, it's somehow it's seared into my brain. Exactly. Like, you know, like a mushroom cloud right. in my brain. And along those lines, then uh, like a year later on Polka Party, you have Weird Al. Christmas at Christmas Ground Zero. Christmas at Ground Zero. Yeah. Weird Al is always on top of things. Yes. Um, another couple songs I want to talk about that are like more on the happy side. Um and Nola Gay by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark or OMD. Yeah. Obviously, that isn't necessarily a song that's about what was going on wartime. At, at, you know, it's it's a song that's referencing World War II, right. but it felt like very topical mm-hmm. at the time. It was about destruction. I, I thought Enola Gay was like a chick they liked. I thought it was a reference to something else. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was. I, I was a kid. I didn't know. I was like... <gasps> 
I gotta hide this record. <laughs> oh, would your oh, yeah. your maggot church exactly. not been on board? Oh, you know, the whole thing there. There's a whole thing going on. But well, that's like the most peppy part adorable song ever. And it's actually lyrically like not a happy song I, at all. I've got I've got a nuclear bomb. I'm gonna drop it in my little plane here. It's interesting because I know we have a playlist going with this that is Cold War anxiety songs, but yes. I almost feel like there could be a sub playlist within a playlist of like misleading Cold War songs. Yes. Like songs that seem happy and then you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh shit. Right, yeah. This is actually not happy at all. Right. Um speaking of which, people that are known for being happy but then got sad on their divorce album. Uh oh. ABBA. Oh. They the, were sending out an SOS. But you with know the visitors. Uh, the visitors uh, again, uh, well, again, we haven't talked about it. Um, <laughs> we uh, just feel like we, we have. just feel like we've talked. We are such old friends. Um, the Visitors is my favorite ABBA record. Interesting, hands down. Are you just saying that to be contrary? I am not saying it to be contrary. I I think uh, we've talked in the past about how for my tenth birthday I got a rival and I never looked back. You're was, the guy that bought Village People Renaissance I like the did. day it came out. So I feel like sometimes I you did. just want to be I know. contrary. I, I do have that streak in me. But the Visitors is again the tri- title track is a paranoia it's about uh being in russia or some sort of a dictatorship yeah it's uh, actually about political dissidents right. in the soviet union which is not something i would think abba you know it, the it, people who did waterloo and would right. talk about And what's really funny, you got to remember that album was in 1981, 82, 81. Yeah, this song ain't in the Mamma Mia movie. No. <laughs> and it's also the same year as Human League Dare. Mm. And there's a lot of parallels between both those acts because the Human League were taking from ABBA, the pop sensibility, going away from their early art school sound and adding the two girls from backing vocals. And you got Benny and Bjorn here going, look at this synth pop thing happening over here. What can we do with this album? And it's interesting because yeah. we've done a podcast about 70s bands that went new wave mm-hmm. and we didn't talk about ABBA in that. But mm-hmm. we could have because could they have. were doing a similar transition. Right. And, you know, it was released as a single only in the U.S. It wasn't released as a single overseas. It was the follow up to when all is said and done, which was like a typical ABBA song. What is the winner takes it all? Is that from this album? That's from Super Trooper. OK. Yeah. And uh, and the visitors, while it wasn't a big chart hit got in like mid 50s or so huge club hit it was like uh, you know people again dancing to songs about dissidents another great song thomas dolby dissidents thomas dolby had a lot of songs that were about anxiety like Mm -hmm. hyperactive even she blind me with science is kind of like nervous and agitated like i scare myself yeah he he was definitely tapping into that i was this the last alba record visitors that was the last one they had two more singles they had under attack and uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on the last song uh, that was on a greatest hits that came out the year after. But then Ace of Base came around. You know, they filled that void. Do you feel the ABBA fans or you say ABBA? I say ABBA. I'm in the Sorry, minority. Mr. Yes. Classy. I think. ABBA. Yes. I, uh, it is ABBA. I'm just from Ohio. I say Bananarama, though, yeah, so it's yeah, okay. It all know. evens out. Do you think the ABBA or ABBA fans? were alienated or do they did they not like this direction this is a band that did Mamma Mia and Waterloo and a lot of happy songs and here it's a the, the divorce thing is happening they're singing about Russian politics good question you got two different fan bases mm-hmm. you've got their big fan bases in UK Australia Europe etc and you got US US they were over 
it was done. They, they they never really broke through here like they broke through everywhere else. I don't remember seeing them on MTV. I remember right. seeing Frida with the uh, something, something going on. Another with, paranoia song. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I even realized at that time that she was from ABBA. I definitely right. didn't realize that One Night in Bangkok had any ABBA connections. Right. So, yeah, I guess you're right. They were never quite the they phenomenon. They were kind of over. So when you have the visitors, it was almost like, oh, look at them trying to break their image as being, you know, Waterloo, happy, go lucky. Mm-hmm. That's cute. Whereas in the UK, it was, they were really over. I mean, it was almost like, uh, they, the fact they were so over, it was almost like Buck's Fizz, which was an ABBA ripoff. <laughs> I think someone from Buck's Fizz is running for parliament there now. There you go. And not and for conservative yeah. side, the Tory side. Ugh. And then Dollar, which was another one. The, 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 Dollar? Yeah. That, was a, that tre- was a band? A Trevor Horn concoction. Okay. Uh, they were more popular as ABBA ripoffs than ABBA were at the time. And so for the Human League, who were huge at the same time, they were name checking ABBA and they were kind of like, really? You guys are into that? That's so passe. That's interesting. Yeah. So they were really kind of done at that point. But I think, you know, obviously ABBA have had many different um, resurgences in American pop culture or pop culture in general. Muriel's Wedding. I was there. Huge revisionist history in the U.S. See, it's weird because... um, my knowledge, my memories of, of ABBA in the 70s are not strong enough to realize that the history was being revived. Oh, I had... Or revised, I should say. I would draw that mirror image logo on all my notebooks, and boy, did I take it. I always thought it was interesting <laughs> when I, st- I... I honestly probably got back into ABBA when Muriel's wedding happened, yeah. because I feel that was and when... Priscilla. Yes. That was the big moment. And then, of course, the Mamma Mia movies. Because, um, and again, this is going to sound like shade, and I don't mean it to sound like shade, but I look at the, the women in ABBA, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, you could be a huge pop star and look like that? Yeah. Not that they were unattractive, but right. they were normal looking. And they were wearing like weird ass, like belted snowflake alpine sweaters over like no pants. And that was like a look. What was great about Agneta and Frida, okay. or Anna Fried, depending on where you're from, uh, they had this weird parallel path where they kind of crossed so Agneta the band starts out Agneta's the hot one so she's the blonde she's the blonde everybody's obsessed with her and then you have Frida she's great you know she's got like the strokes hair right like sweat hog curly hair yeah and as you go along uh, you know Agneta grows a little older and Frida kind of like as like a shark that there's like blood in the water. All of a sudden she's got she's like, like, here's my chance. She's got magenta hair and she's got like spiky punk and rock look. And she had an 80s hit. She had, right. At least one. Yeah, I know. she was like, oh, here's my chance to kind of step she in front. She actually yeah. really reinvented herself. And of course, right. like the drums on that song are so, f- on something's going on are so friggin' loud. So of course, Phil Collins, Phil Collins, land of confusion guy. Um, but yeah, I don't mean that as a shade thing. I just look at them and you know, they were like attractive, but yeah. like attractive like the someone you might know yeah. they're they always had an awkwardness to them some weird fashion definitely um were not size two it, it, and it, showed off the fact that they weren't size two they start off as a glam band i mean think about it they were a glam band waterloo is a glam rock song and people forget that uh that's why they won eurovision that year yeah you, they, they kind yeah. of you know whenever i every year i write the eurovision article yeah. and i'm giving the people in america who might not be that aware of what eurovision is the mm-hmm. primer primer mm-hmm. on it I always mention, yeah, this is the band mm-hmm. that start. This is the contest that started Abbott. Right. And then they their outfits get weirder and more outlandish. <laughs> yeah. There's the kitty cat mini skirt and everything. I was a fan. I was yeah. a fan of the belted alpine sweater. Yes, like ski sweater as dress. Why not? Forgot the pants. Right, but didn't forget the huge 
ass thigh high boots. boots. Patent leather, white patent leather. No, the yeah. fur boots. Oh, the fur ones. The Chewbacca yeah, of boots. Of course. But then, you know, by, it's cold in Sweden sometimes. Yeah, to bring it back to the 80s, though, they wanted to back away from this image. So now you got them, they're dressed like housewives that are going to pick up the kids from soccer practice. And singing yeah, about yeah. political dissent. In the videos, they're dressed like this. <laughs> no. It's like, guys. That was, the 80s is the wrong time to start dressing down. You know, yeah. I could see if they were trying a 90s revival, put on some flannel, but right. in the 80s, they really needed to bring out the shoulder pads. Yeah, I'm not sequins. sure the khaki pants were a good move. No, but, um, you know, I give them some credit for trying to move forward. Yeah. Let's talk about a couple other uh, people who maybe sort of went off script of what we're used to them, like, and we, went. We can relate. <laughs> we go off script a lot. We'll edit this in post. It'll be fine. Uh, the Ramones, Bonzo goes to Bitburg. Yeah. Not a band. Ramones, even though lots of punk bands, mm-hmm. and they were one of the original punk bands, do often went political, mm-hmm. or that was like their stock and trade was right. to be political. Not the Ramones. You know, they had Beat on the Brat, mm-hmm. or, you know, like they had their songs were, were fun and cartoonish and right. playful. And they actually, that's why I think a lot of kids still really like the Ramones compared to some of their peers, is because mm-hmm. their songs were so upbeat and fun. But this song was. Uh, actually like a general genuinely political like anti-Reagan song What you've caught, you've really nailed it because this is a band that sometimes they would get political, but it wouldn't be so overt. It would be like uh, songs about male prostitution and things that you had kind of read between the lines. But this was like, wow, Reagan sucks. It's actually about a specific incident, which I can't claim I knew about the time, but I, you know, Wikipedia is my friend. And it's about the Bitburg controversy when Reagan paid a state visit to a German World War cemetery. Apparently that was a controversial move at the mm. time. I cannot claim to know why. Okay. Do you, I have a question in general, though. Like a lot of the songs we're talking about are specifically about Reagan or yeah. at least almost everything we're talking about is very much about the Reagan years, especially, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about like the video for two tribes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's, do you think when bands do that, when they do a song, like, like I'm using an example of like X mm-hmm. when they had a song that said it was better before, before we voted for what's his name. Right. They're referring to Reagan, but because mm-hmm. they said, what's his name, that song could be about anyone. It could be about Trump now. It could have right. been about Bush. could have been, could be about whoever our next president is. Obama. Yeah. If, right. if you're not a fan of Obama. Right. So, it's a sort of like a general, like it applies to whatever political state is going on right now. But mm-hmm. these songs that are very specific to Reagan and to the Russian Cold War thing, do you feel these songs have aged poorly as a result? Uh, I think they're, if you're not 35 and over, they may be meaningless. I mean, you know, I, I have to wonder, I don't know. I wonder if kids are even taught about that era in school anymore and they have any idea. But I was there, not to tell you my age. I uh, it was <laughs> what you were around I the eighties. I would never guess that election was scary for people mm-hmm. uh, because it was a big, it was a big cultural shift. You had the moral majority coming in. You know, you had all this hedonism of the seventies culminating in Studio Fifty Four, where there's literally a big crescent moon snorting coke hanging above the dance floor. To hey, it's time to go back to God and and right to your question though, is it relevant now? I think if you sat a, a twenty year old down and showed them two tribes, they would go, oh, who are these two old dudes? 
I think so, but I do think certain songs on the list that we are talking about, maybe ones that aren't necessarily name-checking Reagan, like the Ramon song, yeah. or uh, specific incidents like the uh, ABBA song, or ABBA as you put it, but <laughs> certain songs that I think are just speaking more to the general idea of like, the world is fucked. Yeah. Sorry for my French yeah. or my Americanese, but the world is screwed and things are bad mm -hmm. and we're scared and we're nervous about this and we are pent up with anxiety. I think still sound fresh to me and songs of that that I would put in uh, that category are World Destruction by Time Zone for mm -hmm. sure. I would say Two Tribes. I don't think that song, the video, the video. is very dated to a right. specific era, but not so much the song. I would say Land of Confusion mm -hmm. and the Nana song, uh, uh, 99 Left Balance. Mm -hmm. Um not the war song. That one can stay in 1985. <laughs> I think that message is always relevant. <laughs> Even though it says Russia in it. I mean, Russia's definitely in the news now. The uh -huh. Sisters of Mercy song. Mm -hmm. um, and Party at Ground Zero, because we still want to have fun. Right. And and this was all escapism. It was escapism with a message. But at the end of the day, I had Doc Martens on uh, and I was on the dance floor stomping along to, to world destruction. Well, on that note, I will put out a call to arms, no pun intended, or maybe intended, to our listeners, to our younger listeners, um, that we need songs like this now. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily have to be hitting you over the head, very um, serious, grim songs about the state of the world and what's and climate change and whatever is happening. They can be party at ground zero. They mm -hmm. can be forever young or I'm out with you. But I would like to see some songs that are addressing the, the paranoia and anxiety and just general state of unease that a lot of people are feeling right now, especially in a heightened era of social media. Yep. Put those songs and those emo put those emotions into song because I think it's time to have another someone remake World Destruction at least yeah. some rapper and some punk person who could we put together to do this oh boy I wouldn't even know where to start but you know create art create art about your student loans <laughs> Just speak out, for God's sake. Absolutely. It's about time. Well, I've enjoyed going. I'm feeling kind of anxious now. <laughs> I feel like I need to take, you know, have a nice cup of soothing herbal tea. But I think this was a great discussion. So if you um, are wound up full of anxiety and you want to release that pent up anxiety by commenting uh, with your favorite Cold War anxiety songs of the 80s, please uh, leave us a message. Go to wearetotally80s.com or check us out on Instagram and Facebook at totally80s.com. I am Lindsay Parker and I'm joined by the other John Hughes. Hello. Let's go, get some, let's go get some herbal tea. I'm down. All right. This was Totally 80s, the podcast dedicated to the music of the greatest decade ever. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Totally80s. And please leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next episode, catch you on the flip side. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. <laughs> AutoTrader.